Chapel, Mason City. Now the first type makes it very difficult for their wife to submit to them because they show no biblical intelligence or spiritual insight. The wife says, look, I know I'm called to submit, but I mean, I look at this guy's actions. He doesn't know the word of God. He doesn't make biblical decisions. He doesn't know the difference between Song of Solomon and the Proverbs. He doesn't know anything about the word of God, and you tell me to submit to him? I'm uncomfortable, Lord. So that type of husband is setting up his wife for failure and tempting her to sin. It's her command. She's commanded to submit to you, but you're making it difficult for her to submit to you because you're not getting in the game and figuring out and disciplining yourself to become a man of the Word of God. Now, if you don't do that, you're setting your wife up and your marriage up. You have to understand, though, man, you got to just start somewhere if you're not doing this. You have to just start somewhere. A good place to start is the book of Proverbs because it talks about godly wisdom. And if anything, what you need in your marriage is godly wisdom, godly decision-making. You need to know the Word of God to be the man of God so you can have a wife submit to the man of God in a godly way. Now, there's another type of husband that makes it very difficult for his wife to submit. And this one is constantly trying to control and change his wife. This husband believes that it is his job to go around and point out all of her flaws and all of her failures. This one acts as a harsh judge instead of being a loving, tender servant. Who responds well to that, by the way? Who responds to constant criticism? In fact, I see women deal with it a lot better than I see men deal with it. Men are far more sensitive when it comes to being criticized than women are. These husbands lack a proper understanding of the grace of God. They tend to view God as a harsh judge, not knowing that it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. And it says that in the book of Romans. They're always pointing out the rules. This should be done like this. You're not doing it like this. And their marriages become tense and filled with pressure as the wives see them as moral judges rather than supportive partners. Being corrected and having your flaws pointed out all the time is incredibly discouraging. This goes both ways in marriage. It's not that women can't do this to men. This lording over, domineering, dictator type of behavior does not align with godly, Christ-like servant leadership. Servant leadership goes against worldly principles and requires a totally different mindset. This takes discipline. Men, it's not your responsibility to correct your wife. The Holy Spirit is capable of doing that all by himself, and he does not need your help or my help. I wish I would have understood this in the beginning of my marriage. Your wife will grow in godliness far more by encouraging her in her strengths and praying for her weaknesses. I love living by the high school, especially in the fall, because sometimes on a Friday night, I'll let my dog outside because the leaves are changing. And, and you can hear in the background, the football team is playing. And you can hear 
the people cheering in the stands. And I don't know if you ever played sports, but I'll tell you what, the encouragement, the cheering coming from the stands can truly bring the best out of you. Is anybody familiar with that? Husbands, you need to see yourselves as your wife's biggest fan sitting in the stands cheering her on. It's a call to self-denial. It's not about you. God help us to understand what it means to love your wife. What he means here. You can do this, men, but you need to be dead to self, filled with the Holy Spirit in fellowship, in the Word, and in prayer. Verse 26 says that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word. So Paul describes the work of Christ for his bride. Now, he's not talking about baptism here. He's talking about how God uses the Word to save people and set them apart from sin and death. That's what he's talking about. Sanctifying means setting apart and the cleansing, uh, talking about the Word of God, how the Word of God cleanses you over time. And he says, this is what Christ does with, the, with his body, with his bride, is he not only sets you apart once and for all in justification, you're set apart from the world and sin and death and you're, and you're saved, but also throughout life, you're becoming sanctified. You're becoming more and more like Christ as the Word of God points out your sin and replaces it with the righteous way to live. And as that keeps going on through your whole life, if you keep becoming more and more Christ-like, in a sense, you're being cleansed uh, during that point. So you, you would say, how does this transfer over to marriage, this washing of water by the Word? And so, uh, you know, I've seen some husbands, they take the Bible and they literally are trying to scrub their wives with it, like a bar of soap. No, don't do that. that that'd be too literal interpretation of the Scripture. Right? Oh, boy. That, that picture looked a lot funnier in my head when I was working on this sermon. I was like picturing a guy like scrubbing his wife with the word of God, you know, like, I don't know. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, what oh, says in the Bible to wash by the... <laughs> but you guys aren't, you guys don't think that's as funny as I do, do you? Okay, all right. Wow. So how does this correlate with husbands? Well, think about it. What it's saying is that Jesus is extremely concerned with the spiritual life of his bride. Now, men, you need to be concerned with the spiritual life of your bride. Extremely. This is extremely important. How can you wash your wife by the Word of God? First of all, you, you, know, you have to know the Word of God. Because as you're married and things happen and relatives die and maybe tragedies happen and maybe victories come and maybe situations come where your wife needs guidance and wisdom, she doesn't need your ideas. She doesn't need the things you learned from your dad and your mom. Ultimately, they may be good if they got them from the Bible and they may be good things. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with coming from a godly, but, but ultimately what your wife needs in a godly marriage is godly principles that come from the Word of God. And so you, you wash your wife in the Word of God um, because you know the Word of God so well that you can take it and you can apply it to the situations that come up in her life. When your wife needs encouragement, you need to get it from the Bible, but you've got to start somewhere. I just don't want to be discouraging here today. You need to start somewhere. So you're, you must be greatly concerned with your wife's spiritual life. Invest in it, support it, be involved in it. Husbands love your wife. I love this church because so many of the husbands are here with their wives. I love it. It's just, un, it's not typical how many husbands are involved with their wives in this church and how many dads are here uh, with their kids. It's, it's really great. Let me give you something really, really, really practical. Because we like that as guys. 
Be easy to submit to and to live with. Don't be demanding, but sacrifice your wants and needs so she can have time in the Word, in prayer, time for fellowship, worshiping with her. Take the responsibility of making sure the kids are up and ready to go to church. Take these things off of her plate because you're concerned about her spiritual life. Wake up earlier if that's what it takes. Get in the Word more if that's what it takes. Do the things that it takes to become a man of God and grow in these things so you can invest in your wife's spiritual life. Verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, this is referring to when we see Christ face to face, uh, the rapture of the church, when the church stands before him, when we finally see him and we're like him because we see him as he is, we will be at that point without any kind of moral corruption, any filth, any flaw, anything like that. We will be in a glorified state. We were justified when we got saved. We're being sanctified through life. And one day we will be glorified when we stand before him and we'll be without spot or wrinkle or whatsoever. How does this correlate to husbands? Uh, go up to your wives and tell them that you need to get some anti-wrinkle. No, <laughs> don't, do don't do that. Well, Christ is talking about this very important moment when his bride stands before him. Husbands, we need to realize that probably the most important thing is the day when our wives stand before the Lord. And so our lives should be dedicated to helping them receive great rewards when they stand at the Bema Seat of Christ. Husbands, you need to know what the Bema Seat of Christ is if you don't. That's a good homework study for you this week. B-E-M-A, the Bema Seat of Christ, and what happens at the Bema Seat. Because your life, my life, needs to be dedicated to my wife standing at the Bema Seat of Christ. Some husbands are so concerned with getting their wives to do what they want them to do instead of selflessly helping them to prepare to meet Jesus. You need to die to self so you can help restore up treasure in heaven so when she appears before the beam of seat of Christ that she'll have great rewards. Husbands, love your wives. So there's the example, Christ and the church. Lastly, the application, loving your wife is loving yourself. Verse 28, so husbands, with all of these things in mind, so Husband, therefore, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. A lot of stuff in this, but what I want to point out is sometimes this is interpreted saying husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies and they interpret it rather you know they would swap the word as for like they say husbands love your wives like you love your own body um, not to be rude but some of you need to do a far better job of loving your wife than you do your own body <laughs> uh, you know what i mean i'm not trying to be too rude here or anything today or jostle you too much but that's not what he means here what he's saying is as in this context means it could be understood like this. Husbands, love your wives because they are your own body. Because they are your own body. See, we are one flesh with our wives. It says in the book of Genesis that the two will, the husband will leave his mother and father and they will be joined to his wife. It's referred to as leaving and cleaving. You uh, leave your family as a husband. As I mean, they, they be, they're no longer the, the top priority. You leave them and then you become glued together with your wife. You're joined in one flesh. And so he says, husbands, 
Uh, you ought to just love your wives because when you do that, you're actually loving yourself. Let me make it very simple. When you bless your wife, you're blessing yourself. When you abuse your wife, you're abusing yourself. When you neglect your wife, you're neglecting yourself. This is a profound, life-changing truth, if you can hold, get a hold of it. But it really takes a, a meditation. It really takes a daily, like, putting myself in this context. Like, how would I treat my wife differently if I totally understood that I am one flesh with her, that she is my body? Verse 29, nobody ever hated his own flesh. I love that because people, on a, kind of on an aside, people will say, I hate myself. The Bible says nobody's ever hated themselves. You know how you know you don't hate yourself? You say, I hate myself, I'm so ugly. Well, you know, you know how you would know that you hated yourself? If you really hated yourself, you'd be glad that you're ugly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Think about it. <laughs> I just hate myself. I can't make anything out of my life. My life stinks. No, you love yourself and you think you deserve a better life, but since you can't have that better life because you can't figure out how to get it, you say you hate yourself. You don't hate yourself. Nobody hates himself. That's an aside. That's very helpful, though, if you're trying to cure depression, but that's a rabbit trail. Nourishes and cherishes it. Jesus nourishes and cherishes the body of Christ, his bride, Husbands, our, our love towards our wife is to be described as nourishing and cherishing. Because they are one flesh with us. They are our own body. I was running the other day down at the track, and, um, you know, without getting too personal, these shorts that I have have a liner on the inside, and it's kind of worn out. And so it started to create this, like, chafing that... It's just terrible, right? And, but, I, but I have to go running, you know, and so I'm down at the track, and I'm like running like this, you know. <laughs> and people are looking at me like, what is it? It's like maybe some new kind of workout that this guy's doing. I'm like, <laughs> you know. But you know what I'm doing? My body's in pain, and so I'm taking care of it. Because my own flesh is in pain, so therefore I'm making accommodations. Even though I look stupid, I'm making sure that I don't hurt. Now think about this. If your wife is one flesh with you, if your wife is your body, you need to do stuff even if it makes you look stupid to alleviate her pain. I've been in counseling sessions with people where I've literally watched wives crying and this schlep of a husband on the other side of a couch won't even hug her. And you're like, dude, you did that. Fix that. And he's like, you know, well, she... You are one flesh with this person. Anybody that hurts his wife hurts himself. Anybody that loves his wife and blesses his wife loves himself. I was listening to a podcast a while back uh, on leadership, and uh, this guy was talking about the importance of blossoming relationships. He says you need to see the relationships in your life, particularly marriages, as like, like a flower. You know, I'm not trying to get all, you know, like this is a, it's a man's sermon here, but I brought a picture and I just want to show you there. I think this is vivid. Blossoming relationships, nourishing and cherishing, right? So, you know, kind of a picture maybe when you get married, it's kind of like over here on the left and, and this is your wife, you know. But through your treatment to her, you know, the goal is what's going on on the right. You see, God has a purpose and a plan for your wife, 
for your spouse. And he's put you in her life to blossom her, to be someone that nourishes and cherishes her, to bring about every single thing that God wants to do in her life. And it's done through your self-denial. It's done through you taking everything you think you want, deserve, need, crave. All of those things are secondary. They're way somewhere else when it comes to the self-denial that you're commanded to uh, in loving your wife. And I'm not trying to say this. Don't think for a second I've got this figured out. I am terrible at this. I'm the most spoiled person you could ever imagine, my poor wife. Everybody's looking at my wife. How do you apply this? Well, first of all, you need to get this in your mind and start thinking like this. Your dad may have given you a good example, but did he give you this example? Because if he didn't, that needs to take a back seat to this example. The scripture is what comes first in our lives because it's, again, a matter of authority, right? How do you blossom your wife? Well, here's a real practical thing. Tell her what you see God doing in her life. How can I do that? Because I don't really know what God does in people's life. We're back to that same issue again. You've got to know the Word of God. You've got to see how people, how God works in people's lives. And you have to be in prayer and in spiritually in tune enough to see what God is doing in your wife's life. And you need to encourage her in it. You say words like, you know, I really see you becoming quite a woman of God. And you say stuff like that all the time. And you say, well, I'm forgetful. Well, if you have a cell phone in 2023, you can set reminders on it. And so just set a reminder on your phone that goes off at whatever time you choose every day that says something like, blossom my wife, right? And then you can actually make a, a whole list of thoughtful, real, genuine things you want to say to her. So when the time comes and you get that reminder, you've got a whole list and another file on your phone of things that you genuinely see the Lord doing in her life. It's just a practical thing. You could take her on dates to places she wants to go, not places that you want to go. A good date is not, you know, your favorite place. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd take you out tonight. Where are we going to go? Oh, well, we're going to go down and watch a sports game. I don't like sports. Well, we're going to be together. Isn't that all that's important together? Oh, sure, I suppose I'll go. Oh, my wife loves it. I'm a great husband. I take her out everywhere. You got you to gotta brush your hair, you know, and brush your teeth. and You know what I mean? Put on a nice shirt and, you know, and take your wife out and do something with her where she wants to go should celebrate anniversaries. This is encouraging to your wife. You should learn how to encourage your wife. You need to be a student of your wife. Husbands, you gotta, you gotta be a student of them. Some men keep files on their phones or computers of things they hear their wives say that they are interested in, things that they know that they like, and they, they have files on their wives, profile on them, you know? When you're gonna go on a car ride with somebody for a few hours, rather than just like let your mind go wherever it would, Think about a few questions that you're going to ask ahead of time that open her up, that get her talking about things that are important to her. Different ideas. Now, in most cases, the flower will bloom. There are women that are damaged, that this process doesn't happen easily. So what do you do? You just be consistent. Doesn't change anything as far as your role is. You just be consistent and you be Christ-like. 
Remember, agape has nothing to do with how your wife responds to your efforts. When you love your wife, you benefit yourself. When you neglect or hurt your wife, you'll hurt yourself. Why is this so important for men to hear? Because it's our tendency to live independently. This is our tendency to just kind of do our own thing. And when our wife sees that we don't, I think wives gravitate towards oneness a lot easier than men do. Granted, there are exceptions, but when you do something, when I do something that violates this principle of oneness, when I act as if I don't have somebody that I'm to be submitted to caring for, it damages your wife. It damages the relationship. And a woman will close off and stay in that state for a long time. You'll say, I wonder why she doesn't respond to me sexually. I wonder why she doesn't want to talk. I wonder why she doesn't want to have conversations. Why did the conversations, why were they so good and now they're so bad? Why are they one-sided? Why is it me talking all the time and her not responding? Could it be because you violated this principle of oneness? To summarize, we're going to leave this here today. So to summarize, uh, God has called us husbands to self-denial. Now, if you're doing wonderfully in this, which I know some of you husbands probably are, God bless you. Maybe you could teach a class to the rest of us, you know? Now, to the rest of us, we probably need to go home and apologize and repent. But men, brothers, please don't be discouraged. God is merciful and He's filled with grace and love. And what he wants to do is strengthen you. He wants to pour out his grace into your life. He wants to give you mercy. He wants to make you more like his son. He wants to make you, he wants to enable you as his son to fulfill the role that he's called you to do. Don't be discouraged. Most people are terrible at these things. Wives, most wives, it's, we talked about it in the Garden of Eden. This is something that's common in all you know, in, at least in some measure, God says this is, this is the natural bent and inclination of a woman is to be contrary to her husband. And it is the natural inclination of the husband to be domineering and self-centered and forceful with his wife. And so he's given us these commands. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husband, love your wives. This is the antidote to the curse. Now, men, we need one another. I'm so blessed by the time of prayer that we had. We had the men's prayer meeting the other night. Let's encourage one another. Let's build one another up. Lest anybody leave here discouraged today, I want to tell you, to, to the wives, to the husbands, both. Okay, the command to submit to your own husbands, the command to love your wives, to self-denial. You're not going to do this perfectly, but let me... Let me, let me tell you where we need to be. If you are wrestling and struggling with the right things, you're right where God wants you to be. If you're wrestling and struggling with the right things, the things that God has commanded you to, to be about, if those things, if you're struggling with those things, you're right in the place God wants you to be. If you're still the sort of husband that's struggling, being like, I can't get my wife to do everything I want for her. It's all about me. I can't, how come I can't get this woman to submit to me? You're not struggling with the right thing. You need to be struggling with you. Wives, 
If you're saying, man, I wish my husband would grow in wisdom and become more of a solid Christian so I could respect him and so I could submit to his decision-making because he doesn't make decisions like I want him to. If, if that's what you're struggling with, you're not struggling with the right thing. You need to be struggling with you. I need to be struggling with me. And so as long as we are struggling with the right things, we're right where God wants us to be. Men, let me leave you with this. As you sacrifice, as you lay down your life for your wife, you're being like Jesus. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 says this, and we'll close with this. Thank you for giving me five minutes over. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but instead he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, that's a willing servant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You're being like Jesus when you deny yourself for the good of your marriage and for your life.